Today is from 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13, starting from verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Steph, for reading uh, a wonderful chapter on love this morning from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Let's uh, come to God in prayer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask, O Lord, that you help us to understand it and apply it in our lives. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, friends, this morning, maybe give me the question, or maybe a couple of questions. How should I love other people? How should I love others? What does real love in action look like? I was speaking to someone who said to me recently, Real love is risky. Real love is risky. Well, ask the person, why? Why is it so risky? So, well, real love will push you to places that you don't want to go to. Real love will push the boundaries. Real love is tough. Real love is not superficial. Real love is indeed tough and risky. It will stretch us, it will challenge us, it will push us, and it will confront us with our own sins as well. How does real love look in our, in our daily lives? So today we're going to look at this topic, real love in action. That is, that we just not only speak the language of love, but actually show it by our actions as well. Because love and relationships, they go together, don't they? Loving relationships are very important in our lives. Loving relationships within our homes, within our families, is something that we work at and we strive for in our relationships in the home as husbands and wives. I hope that is fundamental, 
love. In the relationship in the home between parent and child. Love. How does this thing work out? For example, there are these relationships in the home. Relationships in the workplace. As you meet, as you sit next to your colleagues in your office. As you have those cups of latte and coffee as you sit at the table and you talk to one another, there are relationships being built. What about relationships at school, at university? Relationships within the church. And so, friends, sadly, in our relationships or friendships, we know that we hurt others by our actions or lack thereof, or we get hurt by others in this life. Is that clear? I'm sure... You will agree with me this morning that we have hurt other people by our words, by our actions, or lack thereof. Or perhaps you've been hurt yourself. And if we are really honest with ourselves, we can say that it is really easy to love some people than others. Some people are easier to love, perhaps, than others. They are less complicated, less issues in their lives. You get on well with the person, and it's easy to mix around with those whom you really love. What about those people that kind of things don't go out so well with one another? Is that easy to love such people as well? Well, what does the Bible tell us about love? What does it tell us about real love in action in all of our relationships? Now, I think, I believe that if there is one thing that the world is crying out, it is the need for real love. Real, genuine love. And so for this morning, we're going to focus our thoughts indeed on our memory text, which is 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 4. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. I was looking at this passage and working through the exegesis of this passage, And I was battling with it myself whether I should look at verses 4 through to 7. But having worked through the passage, I think we got substantial information in this one verse to unpack what love looks like and what love is really not. And so we're going to analyze, we're going to look at this verse here in 1 Corinthians 13 verse 4. So keep your Bibles open uh, to that passage this morning. So here the Apostle Paul, friends, gives us a marvelous exposition of the character of true and godly love. You see, love is central, is a very central theme of Paul's ethical teaching. For example, Paul makes it very clear in Romans chapter 13 and verse 10, that his his understanding of love to be a reflection of the summary of the Old Testament law of Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 18. Paul puts it this way, love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. You see, Paul has given an exposition in Romans chapter 13 of the law, and then he speaks about this kind of a love that binds everything together. Now, he addresses the issue of love at the Corinthian church. Just think for a moment, why is Paul writing to the Christians at Corinth about love. Surely you would say to me this morning, as Christians, we should have this all made. 
Why do we need to talk about love? Surely, as Christians, we've got it. We understand what love is. Well, the Corinthian church had a massive issue there. There were divisions and quarreling in the church at Corinth. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and same judgment, for it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. Where is this taking place? Where is this quarreling taking place? Where is the divisions taking place? Where? In the church. Now, you wouldn't expect that, right? In the church, as Christians, how is it possible to have divisions and quarreling and fighting amongst Christians? Now, there were some also in the church at Corinth who were looking down on others on the basis of their spiritual gifts. We heard a little bit of that uh, with Ian's talk this morning about spiritual gifts to the kids. Then Paul addresses this matter in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer. If one member is honored, all rejoice. You see, this is the body that is working together. It is working for the glory of God, for the upbuilding of the kingdom of God. It is working for the work of Christ in the church. And Paul says, well, just don't focus only about your spiritual gifts, but I want to show you something that is more than your spiritual gifts. A better or perhaps an excellent way in your life. And this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 1 to 4. And so he brings this out into the open. Have a look in your Bibles. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am, what is it? Anyone? I'm a noisy gong or a clanging symbol. I mean, we've got the symbols here. We can go and bang on that this morning. Right? We're a, 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 Paul is saying this, you're just like, like a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains. This is Paul is saying this. I've got all the faith, I can do all of these things, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain Nothing. And so here in 1 Corinthians 13, the Apostle Paul gives us an excellent description of love. And Paul extols the virtue of love as a more excellent way to live your life. It is far superior than all the gifts put together. Because you can have all the gifts and if you don't have love, then you've missed the point. And so he writes of the importance of love, saying that if we have all these kinds of gifts, abilities and achievements in life, but lack love, 
We are nothing. Now, I must say this. is not belittling the importance of spiritual gifts by any means. But rather the emphasis here in the context here is of spiritual gifts and how they should operate. So if someone has upfront gifts and someone has the gift of fixing things or doing other things, together we do this in the bond of love. That's what it is. So that I don't come up here and say, oh, by the way, well, I've got the gift of uh, speaking, for example. And I'm up here and so... Well, this is my gift, and I'm better than you, and you don't say back to me, well, I'm better than you because I've got this gift of leading singing, which I don't have. Because when I, put, when I sing and the mic is on, people make, make it known to me, you know. Chris, I don't think you have the gift of singing. Well, I think I do, but others, it's confirmed by the body that I don't. So I accept that. You see what I mean? But we do this in the context of loving, gracious relationships. And so, so Paul is saying, yes, you got the gifts. Yes, God has given the church gifts. And every member is important as the body of Christ. But as you, as you live out this Christian gospel, as you exercise your spiritual gifts, do it in the context of love within the body of Christ. And that's what we see here in this, in this, in this chapter. You see, real love in action is seen by the way we live. It shows how real love in action motivates our actions and our behaviors in our relationships with others. And so Paul begins by telling us what love is and what love is not in our text here this morning. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. As you could translate as arrogant as well. That's what we see here in this passage. Love is patient and kind. They are paired together. Let's unpack this. You see, this word uh, patient is translated as to be long-tempered. Paul tells us that love is patient, that is, that it suffers long. It is long-suffering. It describes someone with a long fuse. The word appears in numerous times throughout the New Testament. Now, in the Greek world, at this time, when Paul was writing this, this was never considered to be a virtue. To be patient was considered to be a sign of weakness. How's that? In fact, Aristotle defined the, the, the great Greek virtue as the refusal to tolerate any insult or injury. So you don't tolerate any insult or injury. According to him and Greek philosophy, you must be ready to strike back at any time. <laughs> so if someone were to give you a hard time, you get back. You get even with that person. Now Paul is saying exactly the opposite, isn't it? See, according to the Greeks, you were a strong person if you really dealt with your enemies by taking matters into your own hands. And if you retaliated and were full of vengeance, then you were showing your strength. Is that the way we approach life? Think about it. This was something new to the Greeks. And when Paul wrote this letter, and he's saying to these Christians, to these, these converts here, they need to be characterized by love and not retaliation. What a mind shift. 
What a mindset that had to be changed. Well, I'm not going to retaliate, but I'm going to show love. So be patient, it says. Now, friends, it does not take too much for us to lose our patience, right? For example, if you had a bad day at the office, or you had a bad day at school, I was speaking to some kids at uh, Kids Church. It's always fascinating talking to young kids to find out how they're going at school and the hurts that they face at school and the challenges they face in the classroom. Have you ever spoken to, uh, to young kids and asked them what are the issues that they are going through in their lives? You'd be quite surprised. I mean, they're going through similar issues, perhaps relationship-wise, that we are going through, but at a, perhaps a different level. But for them, it is an important aspect in their lives. Imagine being in the classroom and being hurt by others. If you're a parent, you know, your kids might come home and say, Mom, Dad, I had a terrible time. It's so and so gave me a hard time. I feel so hurt and I'm upset. Have you had that? <laughs> your kids come home crying. It happens, isn't it? It's a bad day at the office and, and perhaps you, you're just so tired and you're stressed out. And you come home and, and it is so easy to be to lose that fuse, to be so short-fused and become grumpy. No, we never become grumpy, do we? Of course we do, right? You see what I'm saying? Rather, what is in view here, the, the, the patience that Paul is saying, yes, it incorporates that, certainly it does, but the, the, the patience here is beyond that as well. It means to suffer long. As I said, it could be long-suffering. It is a patience with people, even when provoked. That's what it is. Even when you're provoked, it might be suffering long under trying circumstances such as ridicule for being a Christian, suffering as a Christian in the office due to office politics, long suffering with our non-Christian family members. You sit with them, you have a meal with them, and you might have discussions with them, and they might be on the opposite side of your thinking about the gospel. It is long suffering with them. It does not easily Give up. That's what Paul is saying. It is long-suffering. It goes the extra distance to show love by being patient with someone, even when one may be hurt by the other person in our relationship. That is tough. Yeah? Or is that easy? <laughs> right? So remember what I said? Real love is risky. Because by normal, in our normal reaction... Well, we want to retaliate, right? Say, <laughs> so, well, you did this to me, man. I'm going to come after you. That's it. But real love is saying, I'm going to be patient with you, long-suffering. For example, think, think about this. The, the question perhaps should, we should ask this morning is, why should we as Christians be long-suffering? Why? Why? Where do we get this business of long-suffering? Where do we get this understanding about patience? Where is it coming from? You see, let me point to you, dear friends, this morning, that God is long-suffering. For example, we read of God's people, the Israelites. Think about the story of Israel, the record of a, of a patient love on the part of God for a rebellious, disobedient disloyal people who grumbled against God in spite of his goodness to them. Remember the Lord passed by Moses 
and said this in Exodus, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious. And what do we read? Aha, quick to anger? No, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. You see, friends, the idea that we are to be patient comes from rooted in God himself because God is long-suffering. God is patient with us. Has he not been patient with you? Yeah? Has he not been patient with us? <laughs> I see quite a few heads nodding, including mine this morning. Right? You see, I, I asked myself this question. What would become of me if God was impatient with me? <laughs> Where would I be today? <laughs> Imagine if God was impatient with Chris. Where would I be? Where would you be if God treated us with impatience just as we treat other people? You see, God has endured our disobedience. He has endured our weaknesses and failures and our sins against him. And he still loves us. And he still is patient with us. That is who God is. That is how he manifests his love. He shows his love by his patience, which is a long-lasting patience. And so because God is patient, we are called to be long-suffering with one another. Christian love reflects the image of God and one who is merciful and gracious and long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. And the Apostle Paul has repeated this aspect of love indeed a couple of times for Exodus chapter, sorry, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 14. And we urge you brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Ephesians, Paul says this, I therefore, prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 8 says this, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, because you know why? Love covers a multitude of sins. It covers a multitude of faults. That you can overlook my faults, and I can overlook yours, because love covers it. What a loving relationship that is, isn't it? This leads then to these other attribute that is tied to this by Paul. He says, love is, is also kind. Not only does love not retaliate, but love finds a way to show and extend kindness instead of revenge. You see, love just keeps doing good by being kind. You see, love will want to pay back pain with kindness. Love will want to return good for evil. Long-suffering or patience includes kindness. And in this life, friends, we will offend others. And others will offend us. 
in this life. We live in a fallen world, don't we? Relationships are not perfect, is it? Are they? We live in a fallen world. And as Christians, we ourselves are still a work in progress. Are you not a work in progress? God is still doing His work in your life and mine. He's roughing out those edges, as someone said, and He's polishing the diamond, so to speak. And He's making, and He's doing His work, and He's changing, and He's transforming, and He's taking the stuff that goes on inside my life and yours, and He's changing those things by the power of His Spirit, and gradually He's polishing and putting the finishing touches, and one day this product will stand before Christ in all its splendor with no more faults. <laughs> Let me die and be with the Lord. But until that day comes, we've got to work on our relationships. <laughs> Loving relationships by being kind. You see, kindness, the, the idea of the word here is, is quite interesting. We are, kindness is not being rude or being, being, being a meanie. Don't be a meanie, as some little kids would say. Oh, so and so is a meanie. You see, kindness is to have a generous heart by being sensitive and tender and gracious to other people. Kindness seeks to love. Jerry Bridges, in his excellent book, it's a, it's a wonderful book, actually, I've read, read it through, uh, Practice of Godliness, defines kindness this way. He says, kindness is the inner disposition Created by the Holy Spirit that causes us to be sensitive to the needs of others, whether physical, emotional or spiritual. Kindness is being thoughtful of others. Kindness may be as simple as a smile to someone. Does it cost you to smile? <laughs> right? Smile. It's alright. When you smile, like someone said, the whole world's, well, smile at you. It doesn't cost anything to smile. Or do you frown at people? Like one of those bull terriers. Always wanting to attack. You know, I take my dog for a walk. There's one dog that our dog just simply does not get on with. When I see the lady on the other side, or she's walking, I... Quietly move on to the other side of the road. She gives me a wave. I give her a wave. And our two dogs are... And my dog is just a little fellow. Right? He's only this size. That guy is a German shepherd. And guess what happens? If they, they once met and the two shall never meet again. It was so scary. They're frowning at each other. Stop it, Toby. Be nice. Doesn't mean a thing. That's true. You see, kindness is being thoughtful to others. A smile, uh, 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 saying a thank you to someone. Speaking an encouraging word to someone. Sending a note or giving a, a phone call to someone. Looking out for someone who is on the outer. You know, so that we are incorporating other people. You see, in, 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 the, in the original word, in the original text, this word kindness means to be useful. It is the idea of being useful to others. I did a word study of this. It's quite interesting because Jesus said, love your enemies... He didn't say feel good about them or ignore them. And in the same verse he said, do good to them. And in Matthew chapter 11, 29 to 30, this is the connecting verse on kindness. We have these beautiful and comforting words of Jesus who said, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. The word easy in the original text is the same word that is translated kind here in 1 Corinthians 13. So Jesus says, come to me and I'll give my kindness to you. (laughs) Do you see that? I'll give you my kindness. How wonderful is this? You see, our Lord is extraordinarily kind. He showed it in his tender dealings with his people. He's a good shepherd. We heard the, 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 the talk last week from that about the good shepherd. And, he, and, 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 and the shepherd carries the lamb close to his heart. You see, he's kind. And, and he understands and he feels the pulse beat of the heart of the sheep. He's carrying them. You see, God himself maintains his steadfast love to his children, even when we go astray. And so Paul says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving. We need to show kindness, friends, in our dealings with others. We must avoid the temptation to be petty in our dealings with others and overlook the minor faults in love by being kind. And I was discussing this and thinking about this topic of love this past week. And I said to someone, why is it so hard in the Christian church to have love? <laughs> and this minister colleague of mine said, You know why, Chris? We have expectations from Christians. We expect Christians to behave in a certain way. We expect Christians to speak in a certain way. And when they don't, we get all upset. <laughs> you see, love is kind. It's willing to forgive. It's, it's willing to, to show kindness in our dealings with others. To, to overlook the faults of others in love. Are you perfect? Have you got it all made? Do you give room for other people's failures? Do you give room for my failures? I'm not talking about moral failures or anything like that. My own ups and downs in my own life. You see what I'm saying? We're expecting perfection to the extent that if somebody doesn't, it's gone. You untrust the person, is this, is that, everything else about the person, and the person's reputation has been torn just like that. Why? Because I am better, I am perfect, you see. I never do those kinds of things. I've never lived like that. Not me. The Lord knows our hearts, right? (laughs) He knows it. You see, being kind, you see, we must avoid the temptation. The church of Corinth had everything going on their spiritual gifts. And Paul says, be loving and kind. But love is not. You see, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy. That's what it is, isn't it? Here's the first of what love is not. Envy is to be jealous. The root word for envy in the original text means to boil. It refers to an inner boiling, an inner seething or steaming over something or somebody else which, which, someone, which, which somebody has something. So you're boiling inside of yourself. It's this thing that is steaming inside of yourself because you don't have it. You see, love is not jealous. You see, jealousy was a major issue with the Corinthian Christians. They were envying and jealous about each other's gifts. 
So they were comparing gifts. They said, oh, you got this gift? Oh, by the way, I got this gift? Oh, I, my gift is better than yours. Yours is not as good as mine. See how it goes on? It starts, isn't it? It starts in, in, in young kids' lives. I know the story of, uh, of the four guys, who were, young guys who were talking about what their fathers were doing. One said, well, my father is a pilot. He earns heaps of money. The other guy said, well, my father is a baker and he's got, he's earning heaps of money. The other one said, well, I'm a, my father is a principal of a school and he's got everything going. The other guy said, well, my father is a minister. And he earns a lot because he needs four people to carry the money for him every Sunday. How's that, eh? It doesn't, it doesn't work. All that doesn't come here. John and myself will be quite happy, isn't it? No, we won't. Right. You see what I'm saying? It, it, it starts there already in, 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 in the kid's circle. It becomes an issue. Jealousy and comparison. So jealousy and envy can happen in the workplace, in the classroom, at school, at the playground, within families. Within families. And just in the church as it did at Corinth. So a couple of quick examples. Joseph. What happened to his brothers? They, what was the problem there? Jealousy. What about Cain? Cain killed his brother Abel. Why? Because he was jealous, jealous of the acceptance of Abel's sacrifice over his own. And envy and jealousy is a destructive thing. Love does not envy, Paul says. It is not jealous. If someone has a gift, praise God for that. Use your gifts. Friends, if God has given you a gift, don't bury your talent, right? Because a day will come when you die... And either you, whatever happens, your body will either go to the ground, cremation, whatever your decision is, you will not be able to use it anymore. You have one life to live, right? Yeah? One, one life to live. And God has given you a gift. You come and see us and say, Chris, we like to use these gifts in these areas. How can I serve? How can I serve? Not just to meet. You ask God, where can you serve Him with the gifts that He has given you? Use it. Otherwise, I'd lose it. So, friends, yeah, love does not boast as well. The, the original word that for boastful comes from a root word meaning windbag. It's uh, like the bagpipes. It's, you know that, that, that sound that... Uh, I'm no offense to any Scottish people. It's, uh, the, <laughs> the bagpipes are all right. They're good, they're good, but... <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that penetrating sound that goes through, right? It, it, it goes everywhere, right? It's, it's, the, the idea is like a, this, this windbag that, that goes out and it's boasting. You see, it's, 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 it's bragging. Love is not a brag about its own accomplishments. Love does not speak to make me look better than you. You see, bragging is an effort to make other people feel inferior because of what you are or what you have. And so you name drop, for example, in your conversation. Ah, oh, by the way, uh, this week I, uh, I had dinner with so and so. Okay. Yeah, you, you could do that, isn't it? Love never brags or blows its own trumpet. Love is also not proud or arrogant. It says not arrogant. It's, it doesn't. Uh, it, 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 is, it is, the idea is to puff like a bellow. See, there are those in, in, the, in the church at Corinth who were arrogant, who were proud, arrogant because of their gifts. The story is told of William Carey, the father of modern missions. 
and great missionary to India who was translating the Bible into 34 languages. And Kerry began his ministry as a cobbler fixing shoes. And as he was invited to a high society party, a dinner party, somebody at the dinner party wanted to humiliate Kerry. And he said, you know, Mr. Kerry, I hear that you worked as a shoemaker. Idea was to bring him down. To which Kerry replied, oh no, sir, I was never a shoemaker. I was only a cobbler. I didn't make them. I just repaired shoes. <laughs> I just repaired shoes. See, love is not proud or arrogant. As we conclude, friends, this morning, if we were to rephrase the virtues of love, refer to Jerry Bridges' book on these aspects that we've seen this morning, these five things, and to, to, to rephrase it, it might read like this. I am patient with you because I love you and want to forgive you. I am kind to you because I love you and want to help you. I do not envy your possessions or your gifts because I love you and want you to have the best. I do not boast about my attainments because I love you and want to hear about yours. I am not proud because I love you and want to esteem you before myself. Finally, see, this love comes from God. God is love. God defines love. Love never fails because God never fails. Love cannot exist without God. God's love is the foundation and definition of love. God is the source of love. He is the fountain of love. God gives meaning to love. Love is God originated because God is love. Without him, love isn't only worthless, but meaningless. Romans chapter 5, the passage that we read earlier. Romans chapter 5, 1 to 5. Paul says this. You see, without by our strength, we can do nothing. Paul says this in Romans chapter 5. Verse 5, and hope does not disappoint us. Why? Because God has poured out what? His love. Where? Where? Romans chapter 5 verse 5. Into our hearts. Who has poured this love? God has. And because God keeps pouring his love into this sinner's, redeemed sinner's heart, I'm able to love. I'm able to go the extra mile. I'm able to take the risk in love because you've been touched by his love. You see what I'm saying? And Paul says this in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, what happened? Christ died for us. That's God's love. You see, do you know Christ this morning? Do you know Jesus Christ? Because in Him is the very definition of love. In Him, God came down and spoke the language of love. In Him, we see kindness. In Him, we see patience. In Him, we see humility. In Christ, we see God's love 
manifest. Do you know this Jesus? Do you know this love? This morning, if you don't, then I pray you will. And I pray that God, through the power of his spirit, will help us to know what love is and what it is not. And that you and I today, as we leave this place, perhaps you might ask yourself the question, is there someone in this church or in my life that I'm not getting along with? Is there something that I can do to make things right? Is there? It's a question to think about. Let's close. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for reminding us that love is to be patient and kind, that it is not jealous, not boastful, not proud. Help us, Lord, this morning to think of someone, perhaps in our lives, with whom we find it difficult to love and to seek ways, Lord, to show real love in action with such a person. And we pray today that you would continue to pour out your love in our hearts, that we will see real love in action in our relationships one with another and beyond this place. In Jesus' name. Amen. My friends, let's close. We're going to sing how.